today on the Arts Report. The Playhouse teams up with school kids to explore love and art. Aboriginal odd couple caper thunderstick strikes the fire hall. Writers and Readers Festival brings 100 authors to Granville Island. Surreal art crossed with theater in the Surreal Project with free tickets. And Mark Bulos brings provocative video installations to the Belkin Gallery. So stay with us. Welcome to the Arts Report for October the 20th, 2010. Look at that, I got the date right today, unlike last week. Um, welcome to the show. It is, um, it is October the 20th, and you are listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM, or perhaps you're listening to us streaming online at citr.ca, or you're listening from the future in podcast form, perhaps on Thursday or Friday. Or, or deeper further as an archaeological um, record of, of the ancient past. Maybe you're listening from the year 3000. Who knows? Uh, if you are, welcome. I hope, um, I hope the robot world is, uh, is going well. Um, what am I talking about? Uh, I don't know. My name is Adam Janusz, and I will be your host for the next hour here on the show. And we have some exciting features in the next uh, few minutes, including... One uh, that involves uh, rival video projections, one showing um, oil conflict, rebels, rebels in an oil conflict in Africa, and the other projection beside it of the oil futures trading market at the Chicago Stock Exchange as, um, as the oil stocks crash. Um, and, and the two are side by side. That'll be interesting. Um, and we also have a mix of... Or sorry, uh, human art pieces. So um, kind of like an art exhibit, but they're alive, and they're even hanging from the ceiling. That's the uh, Surreal Project, and we'll tell you about that as well. We'll give away two tickets to the Surreal Project for either Friday night or Saturday night, whichever is more convenient for you. Either one is fine. That's how flexible they are. They're amazing. So we'll give that away fairly soon. So stick with us um, for that. Now, before I get into uh, the show proper, um, I, I wanted to briefly mention the latest issue of the UBC, which is the UBC uh, student newspaper, and, and they, did, uh, they did a lot of coverage of CITR in their latest issue. If you flip open the, the big middle page, you'll see a huge, splashy, multi-photograph uh, article about CITR and um, sort of how far it's come in the last few years. You may not know, but uh, the former station manager here uh, a few years ago was basically a thief, and she ran away with a lot of money, a lot of the station's money, a lot of um, you know student-funded, supported um, cash, and fled to South Africa. How sneaky! And um, so it it basically it almost destroyed the station. And so the article talks about the, the revival, the resurgence, the renaissance of, of CITR. And with the help of our current station manager, uh, Brenda Gruno, has, um, has brought the station back to life. And, um, you know, through adversity, as often happens, through adversity, the station has come out uh, stronger, stronger than ever with uh, really, um, really strong books. The books are, um, you know, up to the most rigorous rigorous standards and the station wor works so much more closely with uh, the student union and, and the boards and the various sort of um, organizational structures um, to make sure that everything is really top-notch, really above board and really accounted for. 
and uh, and and it's also forced everybody to work twice as hard come come fundraising time to um, to really to really uh, catch up for all the money that was lost the money that was was stolen and um, and it's worked phenomenal phenomenally phenomenously I wanted to say I don't know why uh, it's worked phenomenally uh, over the last few years and and the uh, the fundraising has been getting um, better and better and that's uh, that's thanks to listeners like you so so you are a big part of that uh, great story and that was in the UBC article. There was also a tiny, tiny little insignificant, tiny, tiny little uh, opinion piece in uh, the UBC, in the back, back, tiny black back page of the UBC um, where, where they said, if, UB, if, if uh, CITR wants more money, they need to provide more service. Who do they think they are asking for more money? Which, uh, which we didn't quite appreciate as much as, uh, as the other article. And um, you'll look for, you should look for a... a a rebuttal, um, a letter to the other editor, perhaps, that will be perhaps published um, in the UBC and in future editions to dispel uh, any myths that might be circulating that uh, that uh, CITR doesn't provide a lot of uh, services to students because it does, and and even though not every single uh, DJ and um, programmer here at the station isn't a student, that that doesn't mean there aren't t- a ton of students at the station in every possible um, impossible area from from the tech services to the DJs yes but to the promotions coordinators that uh, that celebrate events and organize uh, sponsorships with the uh, community partners and, and and so much more so every nook and cranny of CITR is filled with students and and it's op- and we we do a ton of work to encourage students here to um, to come out and and make their own radio show and participate and um, and we hope to continue that in the years ahead so there all right let's um, Let's move on. Enough, uh, enough jibber jabber about uh, UBC politics, and let's talk about uh, the Playhouse. Now, the Vancouver Playhouse does educational outreach, things like school tours and lesson plans for teachers based on uh, the theater taking place inside the Playhouse. But now they're doing an exciting collaboration with a group called Dare Arts. Dare standing for discipline, action, responsibility, and excellence in education. They're from Toronto and now expanding to the West coast basically with the goal of inspiring kids to learn using all of the senses and all of the arts as a tool to educate so they've teamed up with grade 7 students at Britannia Elementary to explore the question what is love using dance drama and painting and they're using the current playhouse show the fantastics as a foundation for their explorations the results will be a theatrical piece as well as four feet by four feet murals both to be showcased in a matinee performance of the Fantastics on Saturday afternoon, this Saturday, uh, Saturday at 2 p.m. Now, I went to the Playhouse this morning to see the students at work and spoke to Genevieve Anthony, who began by explaining that education is in direct competition with video games, TV, and the Internet, all in competition for kids' attentions. Well, because I come from film and television, I am a... DGC member as well as an actor member. I believe that education is competing with video games. So our classroom setting is highly stimulating. We are continually engaging through the arts on multiple levels. Sound, music, drama, dance, architecture, literature, visual arts. At no given moment are the children in a place where they are not being engaged. Right. 
Dare Arts, after two days, provides an opportunity for a girl who has been with her same class since kindergarten to share with us yesterday that through arts and teamwork, she's gotten to know her classroom in a way that she never knew was possible because the arts have opened up that door for her. And they're never sitting in, in rows in desks. Don't believe in desks, <laughs> nor do I believe in rows. We believe in circles. Mm -hmm. Eye contact is one of the most powerful forms of communication, and that's funny to be saying that over the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in circles. We believe in the circle of equality and equity. So we are always making eye contact with one another through mm. teamwork. Okay, and tell me so, uh, about these murals that the uh, that the kids have been working on. Uh, just give me a quick sense of uh, of what they look like. Well, the process for the murals was involved in that we broke the script down with the children, the Fantastics, which is being presented here at the Vancouver Playhouse Theatre Company, to a beginning, middle, climax, and end. From that, we gleaned key theme emotions from each part of the plot. The beginning representing control, the middle representing moonlight and drama, the climax distrust, hurt, frustration, and the end being freedom, redemption, and true acceptance of love. Mm -hmm. From that, the children created tableau pieces, dramatic tableau pieces, okay. and from those dramatic tableau physical movement pieces, they transcribed that into painting based on chosen palettes with each section being very specific and creating four by four murals which will be here on display mm. at the Playhouse for the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And in each one of these, these, um, these squares, these murals, it's, um, it's an abstract uh, painting and it's and it's filled with with symbols. Yes, with symbols and images and they like splattering. <laughs> they love Jackson Pollock, which we did show them. We definitely, okay. oh yes, they were uh, exposed to a variety of abstract artists. So some have a lot of splattering, joyous movement throughout them, whereas the beginning has crisp, controlled lines of of parental control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and speaking of control, I, I was curious to what extent are the murals guided by, by the instructors and to what extent is it just a chaotic free form? Because, you know, if I didn't know that they were made by kids, I wouldn't necessarily suspect that this was just a, you know, a class project. Right. What a compliment. Thank you so much. Um, that's just testimony to the fact that we believe in leadership here at Dare Arts. So we scaffold our children so that by the time they're flying solo, they don't know they're flying solo. So by the time they were doing those murals, that was them on their own without any guidance from anyone over the age of 15. <laughs> That's them. Um, we'll, they'll be signing it today with their handprints. Mm. Yes. So that's what they'll be walking into this morning, and they don't know that's coming. <laughs> yeah. So how can people get involved in Dare Arts? We would love for Vancouver to come on board in regards to artists and for teachers. And we can be found at www.darearts.com. And we are happy to invite more people into our larger community.
So we need teachers to bring their students on board. We need artists who believe in education. We need teachers who believe in the arts. And we need championed partners to back us up. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. And that was Genevieve Anthony. And I can tell you, if you are interested in this, um, in this lovely project, you can see the results, uh, you can see the murals and the results of all the kids' work at the Saturday performance of The Fantastics. Uh, but before I tell you about that, let me give you some addresses like darearts.com if you want more information about Dare Arts and, um, and the things they do. And if you want to get involved in Dare Arts in Vancouver, then uh, you can do so there, darearts.com. And, uh, and I also want to mention that this whole project um, is all thanks to uh, cooperation from and, um, and instigation from Opus Art Supplies as well as the Canucks Family Education Center. That's right, the Vancouver Canucks has uh, a wonderful charity organization called the Family Education Center, and um, they do a lot of work around the Britannia uh, school area. And, of course, the Vancouver Playhouse, who, uh, as I said, is performing the Fantastics. And uh, the Fantastics is held over until October 30th and is running uh, Monday through Saturday at 8 p.m. and has two matinees, Wednesday and Saturday uh, this week. And the Saturday matinee on October 23rd will feature this uh, lovely What is Love uh, showcase. And you can see the, the kids perform um, their tableaus and show off their, their murals. So murals, yes. All right, so you can get tickets um, at the... Um, Vancouver Playhouse website? Is it pl vancouverplayhouse.com? I may be making that up. Uh, tickets are $20, range from $20 to $59. And if you are a young person between, uh, younger than the age of 25, uh, you can get tickets for $32, which is lovely. And uh, Genevieve wanted me to also mention for you in Radio Land that she is wearing purple today, which is a project. Um, I, can I say worldwide? It's certainly North America-wide, a project to, to wear, wear purple today in support of um, gays and lesbians in the U.S. who um, have sadly committed suicide in the last um, weeks and months and as a, as a show of solidarity with all the uh, gay youth in the world. And so Genevieve and all the instructors today were wearing, wearing purple um, in support of that. So... That was good. Okay, now when we come back, it is VancouverPlayhouse.com. Yes, it is. Okay, when we come back, we'll tell you about the Surreal Project, and we'll also give two tickets away. So get your dialing fingers uh, ready now, and, um, and stay tuned. Beatroot Magazine and WinnieCooper.net present PBGBs, a month-long weekly art show and music series appearing every Thursday in October at 7 p.m. at the Chapel Arts. October 28th will showcase artist Mark DeLong and a soundtrack of Double Dragon, MT40, and DJ David R. The after party kicks off at 11 p.m. at Honey Lounge. Be sure to check out Heebie-Jeebies, a potent cocktail of art and music every Thursday in October at the Chapel Arts. Presented by Beatroot Magazine and WinnieCooper.net. Hey, we're back on the Arts Report. What do you get when you mix conventional theater with surrealist visual art? Well, you get The Surreal Project, a showcase of weird and wonderful performance art pieces both in and outside the Inlet Theater in Port Moody. 
tipping their hats to the bizarre art movement known as surrealism and inviting everyone to roam all its small places. Now, Nick Sartori is the executive director of Shift Performing Arts Society, who is putting this whole thing on, and we uh, had a chat over Skype to find out more about it. I started by asking Nick what audiences can anticipate if they come to the show on Friday and Saturday. You should anticipate not your usual theater experience, which, which is why we're so excited about it. Um, Basically, it's a series of small installations. So the show runs uh, from 8 o'clock until 10 o'clock. It starts at 8 o'clock. So um, you would walk into the doors and immediately be immersed in surreal theater. Surreal theater happening all around you. Um, we have roving performances, and then we have performances set up in certain, in certain areas. Um, so you walk in the doors, um, and it's a totally open, um, flexible um, experience. So basically the idea is that you can choose which shows you want to see and when you want to see them. Um, the, you know, there, there are two shows in the, you go into the theater and you sit down and you watch a show and you leave, but the rest of the six shows are all happening in various site-specific found spaces around the building. Um, and so it's something a bit, uh, a bit unconventional. Is this the same as Hive? It's not the same thing as Hive. People, it's, it's around Halloween, obviously, so people keep asking us if this is the Shift Haunted House, and to them I say no. <laughs> um, people also keep asking us, why have you just copied Hive? Um, and I have great respect for Hive, um, and obviously we've used some inspiration from their um, format of using, you know, creating site-specific work and, and, you know, creating a common space and doing, you know, stuff like that, which, are, you know, is similar to what we're doing. Um, but our experience, our, our experience, I suppose, is more about ongoing installations. Um, so most of the most of the shows that we have in the Surreal Project Two are all um, sort of ongoing throughout the night. So okay, give us some examples. So we have a show, for example, uh, in the underground parking lot at the Port Moody City Hall. So we're going to shut down the parking lot. Um, it's called Concrete Jungle, and it's directed by uh, Kyle Faulkner and Coco Roberge. And the two of them have created basically a little surreal uh, world down there um, of small, short scenes. And so the audience can come into the to the space uh, and sort of explore freely uh, uh, the sort of little things that are happening um, uh, around the space. So we have, for example, um, a, a character uh, in a birdcage. Um, we have some. Uh, we have two lovers who are going to be uh, recreating a, a short little scene, um, sort of repetitively, and the repetition will work to tell their story. But the point is that the audience can come in, say at you know eight o'clock when they arrive, um, you know check it out, see what's going on, and then when they come back in at at nine thirty to see sort of the, the the finish of it, different things will be happening. And there will also be performers suspended from the air. What's that about? We're working uh, with some great people, including our, our director of that space, Jen Klune, um, and she will be creating a show called Suspended Reality, um, in which she will have four actors um, doing a small uh, piece up in the air, uh, in the lobby uh, of the City Hall in front of the Inlet Theatre in Port Moody. And uh, I don't want to say too much about it because it's going to be so exciting and, and awesome. Uh, one of those things we just kind of have to wait, wait and see um, for the show. But it, we're very excited to be doing um, some aerial work. I think it, uh, it fits well with the theme anyway. Is there still going to be some conventional theatre pieces, or is it all performance art? There is, yeah, and there, there are two shows. Uh, one is called Fête Accompli, and it's by uh, Coco Roberge. And both of these shows run three times. So Coco's show uh, runs at 8 o'clock, 8.20, and 8.40. It's about 12 minutes long. 
Um, and so you can go in, we're letting small audiences in at a time, probably about 50 people, and, um, and so you can go in, watch that show, and then, and then come out and explore the rest of the, the, the Surreal Project. Um, the second show that we have, 9 o'clock, 9.20, and 9.40, uh, is a show called Water Worlds from the Bard, and it's directed by David Secunda, and will feature some mask work and be very neat. Cool. I have one more question. Yes. Why? Why take theater out of the theater? What's, what's gained by doing this kind of uh, site-specific performance work? Right. It's, um, I think, I think it's, there are a few, couple of reasons. Um, I think one, Shift Performing Arts Society, we're sort of, uh, well, we're not sort of, we are very dedicated to um, sort of um, bending the um, people's understanding uh, of, of what they think of theater. So um, I sort of try to explain it to people, like, when you come into the theater, people have a certain expectation that they're going to come in, they're going to sit down, a show is going to wash over them, and then they're going to leave. Um, whereas we want to give people an entirely uh, different experience. And, of course, surrealism in its most fundamental form means to be the opposite of real. So we want to take the opposite of what people are going to expect. Um, uh, you know, contrast it, or however you want to say that. But... Um, yeah, I think it's it's our mission to create theater that is not what you would normally expect and that will challenge your expectations of coming to a play. Um, so that's the first reason. I think the second reason um, is that when we created this surreal project, obviously this is the second uh, version of it. We first created it in, in February 2009, and when we did it the first time, we had only one sort of small site-specific component, but it was one of the things that attracted our audience the most to the event was this site-specific component. And in fact, last year we had trouble getting people into the theater because they were so taken by the work they were seeing in found spaces. Um, and so we wanted to explore that and, of course, try to link it more directly with the theme of surrealism. So I think, you know, taking all of those things into consideration, we will have created a nice little, you know, world of, of surrealism, and using found spaces um, is sort of feels like the, the perfect match for us. And that was Nick Sartori talking about The Surreal Project 2, which runs on October 22nd and 23rd, which is this Friday and this Saturday at the Port Moody City Hall. Uh, shows begin at 8 p.m. and tickets are 10 and 15 dollars. Available at www.shiftarts.ca, which is also an excellent place to uh, see pictures of last year's surreal project to give you a bit of a taste of what it looks like. Um, and and is a lovely website uh, anyway, worthy of checking out at any time for any reason. Now we uh, we'd like to give you some tickets to this real project for either Friday or Saturday night, whichever you prefer. And you can get them by ringing me immediately at this number, 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR. I will be standing by the phone to, to take your call and give you two free tickets for either Friday or Saturday night. That's 604 822 Eight, seven. Stay with us because when we return, we'll be talking about Thunderstick at the Fire Hall featuring Lauren Cardinal of, um, of uh, what's it called? Uh, the fame of Corner Gas. Corner Gas fame. Thank you. Stay with us. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. 
there's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. Join the UBC Film Society for their weekly movie screenings in the Subs Norm Theater every Wednesday to Sunday. This week's screenings are... The Kids Are Alright, playing at 7 p.m., and Fight Club, playing at 9.15 p.m., Wednesday the 20th through Sunday the 24th at the Norm. Tickets are $2.50 for members and $5 for non-members. For more details and membership information, visit ubcfilmsociety.com. See you at the movies. And we're back on the Arts Report. Congratulations to Yumi, who got those tickets to the Surreal Project. On uh, Friday night, she has opted for. I don't know why I thought I'd share that with you, but I thought I'd share it with you. All right, so Thunderstick is playing at the Fire Hall, and it revolves around two mismatched journalists chasing political intrigue. Arts Report correspondent Spencer Lindsay saw the show and chatted with cast member Lauren Cardinal, who you may know from Corner Gas. So um, here is... Um, Here's their interview, and uh, the first thing that uh, Spencer was uh, asking was um, was whether this is the first time that uh, that Thunderstick is being performed. The answer being no. Uh, I was the uh, dramaturge with Ken Williams uh, mm -hmm. when it was first brought to Wisaki Chalk Festival in Toronto. That's with uh, through Native Earth Performing Arts, and it was a short play then. And I and uh, me and Ken workshopped it, and then I was offered the chance to direct a production of it. It was my first directorial debut. So, uh, yeah, I got to work on it, and uh, I just uh, always thought it had uh, potential to be a really great play. Why, why did you feel the need to, to kind of bring it back? So I saw a production of it in Toronto, and it wasn't done correctly. The director just chose a wrong attack on it, mm -hmm. which, uh, which didn't sit well with me because I knew it was a better play than that. And Ken's writing is fantastic. He's yeah. a great writer. Ken Williams, our playwright. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, a, he's a brilliant writer, so I just didn't think he had a fair shake in Toronto, and then the critics went after him like hungry dogs, yeah. and uh, I just didn't... Uh, so I just had to convince uh, my two friends in uh, Saskatoon and Edmonton that it was worthy, and then when Craig Lozon came on board, uh, it, was, uh, it was a show that practically sells itself, you know? You yeah, two, yeah. You have two ex-funny TV guys and uh, working on a play, and we're having a great time, and switching roles. That was our little twist mm -hmm, to put on mm -hmm. it. So that, that didn't happen in the original production, right? No, no, no. I was just worried about getting them to learn their lines <laughs> for one character. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, well, I've, I've heard you say before that um, your stage manager this time, um, Cheryl Milliken. Cheryl Milliken. Yeah. Milliken, yeah. She, you said she's like uh, the third actor in, in this uh, she production. She's the What's brains of the outfit, really. Mm-hmm. Because we all came to this project not knowing what to expect because we'd never done anything like it. I've never played a character or Craig that we switch roles. Mm -hmm. And the two directors have never directed actors who switch roles and never co-directed. And then with poor Cheryl Milliken, who was stuck with the task of trying to track the two different shows because basically that's what we have. Mm -hmm. We have Craig's version and we have my version. And, and her job was to... She had to devise her own system on how to keep track of two separate shows and no one was around to help her because so she had to do it all by herself so she was working four times as hard and we the actors were working twice as hard and the directors had one job to split so 
yeah yeah i mean i mean it, it's it's tough enough doing you know all these shows in a row but you have mm -hmm. to know two parts i mean is it is that fun i mean it's it sounds like it's it's challenging oh it was totally fun it was a, it became a lot easier than we thought because mm. when we were playing one character we didn't realize how much of the lines were actually sticking until we started you know and then when, and then it just became easier the more we did it the easier it became i actually heard that um I don't know who who it was, but you guys got that idea from a John C. Riley and Philip Seymour Hoffman production on Broadway. Is yeah, that we true? Yeah, we were talking about that because um, um, when I pitched the uh, project to Craig, he read it and he wanted to play Jacob, and I said, "Well, that's funny because <laughs> I'm playing Jacob." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, and then Craig brought this up, and I said, "Well, lucky enough, I saw it in New York." I saw them do do that production True West when they flipped roles. So cool. I went totally. I'd be totally on board for that. So and it's and we agreed then, and we just figured stuff out as we went along. Cool, um, but there's also really serious undertone to to the play. How how did Ken? How does he work those other issues in into the script? How 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 does that work? You know. Well, that was the brilliant thing that attracted to me in, in the first place was when I was working with Saki Jack is that he brought up these these huge heavy issues you mm -hmm. know with alcohol abuse parental abuse residential school abuse and mm -hmm. and and he, he takes him to a certain point and at some point he lets the audience decide to take it the rest of the way but he takes a hard left with his actors mm -hmm. and tells a different story on the bench so you know he, he makes the uh, the audience becomes involved just because you know they bring their knowledge to it and they went you know, they all brace themselves. Oh, here comes a story about residential school yeah, and yeah. abuse. Uh oh, yeah. and then we take a hard left, and and the same way with some comedy. You know, we we set up a comedy, and then we take a hard right into something a little more serious. So, mm -hmm. he's a brilliant he's a brilliant writer that way, and, and, and that's yeah. what I liked about it. He wasn't hitting people over the head with it because yeah, he didn't have yeah. to. For sure. The audience was doing it for him, so he, you know, and his his choice of words are just fantastic. Um, I I read somewhere. Um I think it was the Canadian Encyclopedia on Theatre, that, that you're really looking to bring more plays with, with Aboriginal actors into Aboriginal audiences. Is that true? Or is, well, is that's, why, that's why this is my, one of my goals. Is that's why we're not hitting, you know, the Vancouver's biggest centre that we're hitting. Mm -hmm. But I, I wanted to focus on bringing it to where more Native people are. Like, if we go to Toronto, we're just going to, we're going to get not the crowd that we want. Mm -hmm. we want you know, Native folks to see theater. We want Native people to see Native people on stage telling yeah. a story, their story. And, you know, and if, and if we do that and we have just one or two people or three people who see it and, and decide and think that there's a career to be had in the arts, uh, you know, that's well worth the trip for, you know, well worth the effort that we're putting in. Because it is, there is a, it's a terrific career in the arts. It's, it's not all, you know, champagnes and hot tubs. Yeah, yeah. But, um... <laughs> But there is great potential there for, you know, carpentry, all kinds of creative skills that, that theater requires, and television and film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many other job opportunities besides being on stage or in front of the camera. There's so many other careers available. So we just want to give people that, that bit of hope, the hope that I never had when I was a kid, right? I didn't yeah. see any Native people on stage until yeah. I was much older. So if we can start bringing that to kids now, you know, younger kids, and saying, hey, look, there's two Indian guys on stage, and, well, if they can do it, I can mm -hmm. do it. And it's exactly what we want to do. And that was Lauren Cardinal, starring in the show Thunderstick, interviewed by Spencer Lindsay, who is in the studio with me now. Hello. Hey, hey. 
How's it going? Good, good. So, so how's that interview? It was great. I, I'm sorry I didn't get the chance to jump in and uh, no, that was my fault. I introduce I, it. <laughs> I refused to turn on your microphone. <laughs> so now I mentioned that he's in Corner Gas, but he didn't like appear out of nowhere and plop himself onto Corner Gas, did he? No, actually, like when I was when I was just researching some some background to the to this for this interview, I found out he stumbled upon acting. He kind of he went to Caribou College now Thompson College in Kamloops and mm. he happened you know he had a spare block he took an acting class and he was inspired by this teacher named Dr. David Edwards I kind of I asked him about him mm. later on in the interview um and yeah he just kind of fell fell into it he took he did one stage production and then he asked he's like how can I make a living out of this mm-hmm. so um yeah, he's such a huge theater. It's funny, like on his spare time, he likes to do theater. Like right. it's so much work, right? Like, right. I think compared to some of the other stuff he does. But uh, so now you've seen the show. Mm-hmm. You had a chance to look at it, and uh, you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I also I feel like that the that interview. You know, I I I really wanted to talk about some of the serious stuff that came up, but mm-hmm. the fact is that show is just like hilarious right so it's got a few it it definitely touches on serious material but but like we got to make it clear this is a comedy yeah yeah (laughs) it starts out as kind of like an ode to the hangover it's this guy (laughs) actually he's still drunk so he's just like just like (laughs) physically um i mean it it was just hilarious i was slapping like my friend sitting beside me watching me like did he just say that now there's something about uh scene changes what's about what about the scene they okay and i found it in the interview they the director sprung this on him the like three days before the show started Mm -hmm. they do their own scene changes they turn on music and they start doing this cabaret style, like na 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 na, a little couple lewd kind of action, like as a signal the to the to the lighting booth to, to no change the no scene? They, they oh like, that is the scene they change. physically move the scene oh I see and it's kind of like you get to see behind the scenes and right. you know it, it was re- it was really funny it was really cool the hardest working man in theater and I mean <laughs> given the fact they're they're changing roles every night too I mean like what. They change roles. They switch. Every, they play a different person every night. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's what we were talking about. Anyway. Anywho. Um, <laughs> it well, was great. Sounds good. All right. So Thunderstick runs until October the 30th. Yes. And you can get... Uh, sorry, it's playing at the Fire Hall Arts Center. And if you go to firehallartscenter.ca, you can get uh, all the necessary ticket information, including the price, which is 17 to $29. And, um, and uh, it sounds like a good one. Thanks, Spencer. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Hi, Omi. <laughs> All right. I'm turning off your microphone. You are cut. You are cut. No! Yes. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break, and uh, when we come back, we will hear about the 23rd Vancouver International Writers and Readers Festival. So stay with us. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead. Let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. (laughs) Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. All right, we're back here on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca, and of course, the uh, podcast, which is available on our website, CITR.ca. 
A under uh, shows, where you can find the podcasts of all the wonderful programs at CITR, including the Arts Report and uh, many, many other uh, fine programs. If you are just joining us, you may have missed um, our our previous um, coverage of things like uh, the Surreal Project and um, and Thunderstick and uh, the Playhouse uh, production that, that's happening. If you've missed any of that, you can get it on the podcast um, an hour from, from when the show ends. It ends at 6, and uh, usually, okay, maybe 2 or 3 hours, it's available um, as a podcast. It's certainly by tomorrow it's available. So uh, check it out and check out the, um, the other stuff you missed uh, last week. Like, uh, for example, we had a feature on After the Quake, which is being put on by Pi Theatre and Rumble Productions, and it's running at uh, the Kulch, and um, was a huge hit last year about um, a sort of um, magic realism, um, a Japanese tale um, about uh, survival, about survival um, in, uh, in Japan in 1990... Ooh, was it four or five? Anyway, when there was an earthquake in Tokyo... or um, in uh, Osaka, I think, and, and there was a terrorist attack in, in, uh, in Tokyo. And basically there was a lot of strife and natural disasters, and it, uh, it provoked a lot of, um, a lot of uh, worry. And uh, us who are expecting the big one could, uh, could relate to a possible um, tragic time. And so it's dealing with, uh, with those tragic events in a, in a really quirky way. There's a six-foot frog in the play um, and many other weird things. And that show is... Um, we did a feature on it uh, last week, and uh, and the show is still running. It's still running, let me tell you, um, from... What day is it today? 20th? Oh. Uh, it's running until the 30th. So there's still lots of uh, performances that you can check out either this weekend or next Saturday or at some point during the week. Uh, there is... Uh, there was there was a post show talk back yesterday. It's not very helpful, is it? Uh, anyway, go to the website uh, thecultch.com and you can find out the information about that show. Check out our podcast from last week and hear the interview to, to find out more. Um, what else can I tell you? Right now, there's an exciting thing going on in Ottawa, the Ottawa Writers Festival, and um, and another thing we had last week was an interview with Jillian Jerome, who is up for a award that's going to be presented at the Ottawa. Uh, Writers Festival, and uh, this is the Relit Award for independent uh, fiction writers, independent publishers, and um, and so I, I thought the sh- that the announcement would be made by now, and I would be able to tell you about it on air. But it just started. It started at 5:30. The the awards ceremony in Ottawa. So um, I'm going to announce it on on Twitter, whether it's uh, Jillian Jerome or not. Uh, you should follow us on Twitter if you don't already. We are uh, CITR underscore Arts Report. CITR Arts Report. And, uh, and get the latest uh, scoops on all the Arts Report happenings. Um, in other news, let me tell you, there is a, there's something called the Clownish Cabaret. Clownish Cabaret number two happening at Café de Soleil uh, next on, on Sunday, October the 24th at 8 p.m., uh, get a seat and save the crappy sight lines for the latecomers, it says here. Um, yeah, you can... I think you just show up at the door at Café de Soleil. It's adults only. There are contests and prize giveaways as well. Tickets are 8 to 10 bucks, so it's nice and cheap. So uh, check out Café de Soleil on Sunday at 8 for that. Uh, in other news, 
We got an email here at CITR from um, from a fellow who has included us in the top 82 college radio stations in North America. And he has this uh, this website where people all over the world can go to and access um, access the college radio stations in North America that are that are tops and CITR is among them so uh, we thank him uh, for doing that you can find out you can see this this map of North America with CITR labeled on it at zoomout.in slash college radio map uh, dashes between college radio map college dash radio dash map zoomout.in slash college radio map and uh, and check out the other lovely radio stations in uh, in North America and uh, another announcement uh, yesterday, the 2010 City of Vancouver Book Award was presented to the Vancouver Art Gallery's publication, Visions of British Columbia. Uh, gallery senior curator Bruce Grenville and writer Scott Steedman joined an illustrious list of authors uh, who have been honored by the city for their writing, with uh, Mayor Gregor Robertson announcing uh, the winners last night. And so the Vancouver Art Gallery is uh, very thrilled and very pleased that their publication, Visions of British Columbia Landscape Manual, um, has won the Book Award. So congratulations to them. Gillian Jerome, who I interviewed last week, uh, won last year's Vancouver Book Award. See? It's all connected. Six degrees of the Arts Report. All right. So let me skip over to the writer's festival, which uh, has already begun. It started yesterday. It features 68 events, bringing more than 100 authors to Granville Island over six days. Two of the writers featured in this year's festival are shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize for full-length novel, including Canadian Emma Donahue. Uh, I spoke with Hal Wake, the festival's artistic director, and I started by asking, what does one do at the Writers' Festival? Because as we all know, at the Film Fest, you watch movies. At the Fringe Fest, you see plays. But what about the Writers' Festival? I, I really appreciate this question because I think that there's an image of writers' festivals as a bunch of people stand up and read from their works. And um, in fact, that does happen. We have events that are um, straight readings. We had one last night for the, uh, for the opening of the festival with some of the best uh, readers uh, I've seen in, um, in the world. But it's much, much more than that. We have panel discussions. We have on-stage interviews. Um, there's a lot of events that have a mixture of uh, music and, and literature. Uh, we have uh, spoken words, so people performing their work. A uh, couple of graphic novelists who are coming who are going to talk about how you tell a story um, through pictures as well as words. So um, I think there's really something for, for everybody and every taste. Hmm. Uh, one of these um, uh, components of the festival will be uh, two, two um, short-listed writers uh, for the Booker Prize. Tell, yes. me, tell me about that. Well, the Booker Prize uh, was announced last week, um, and we had uh, Andrea Levy is here at the festival from England, and Emma Donahue, who's from Ireland but who lives in Canada, um, has lived in Canada for quite some time. They were both uh, shortlisted, and I think it's one of the cruelest things in the world. There, I think there were six writers on the shortlist. Um, there's huge, huge attention amongst... Uh, the literary community around the world in in this particular prize, and uh, for the weeks leading up to the <clears throat> the announcement, 
they're just under tremendous pressure and then they all get hauled together to a dinner mm-hmm. um, and and they don't know who's won and they sit there and um, there's a huge crowd and people are watching the things streaming live on the internet um, and then one person wins their life changes absolutely and fundamentally and everybody else goes home so um, or to a to a writers festival like that. Um, so it's it's uh, but what the, it, they do represent uh, some of the finest uh, writing going on uh, in contemporary literature. Right, and I guess the point is that, that in a way they're all winners, right? They're all excellent and, and worthy of, of the same kind of attention, but, but the tragedy is only, only one of them get the big prize. Yeah, and even being on the short list gives you certainly a, a sales bump and, um, and more invitations and people paying attention to you. So being on the short list is no small thing uh, whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I talked to Emma Donahue about it, and, and I, I was sympathizing and she said no 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 I want every minute of this this is <laughs> this is so good for me for people to discover for a lot of writers um, it just moves them to a whole other level mm-hmm. of public awareness okay and the festival will take over or is taking over Granville Island is it is it all over the island exclusively we use uh, every available venue <laughs> um, and then some we take over a cafe there'll be a launch of a poetry book in a in a cafe but the main we use the main theaters um all around the island i'm in the granville island hotel um looking at kate pullinger about to get on an elevator kate pullinger won the um governor general's award for fiction last year um so they're all they all stay together in the hotel and and the island just kind of throbs with mm-hmm. with excitement and with um, the passion and the engagement that comes when writers and readers get together. And uh, because it all happens down here, uh, people can walk up to writers as they're going for a coffee and have a chat. And so for a week, this is a, uh, a book lover's paradise. Now, uh, writers like to think that they're, that they're anonymous. Can you spot a writer <laughs> as they walk down the street? Can you, is there a characteristic look of a writer? Holy crow, there's no uniform. Kevin <laughs> Sylvester was wearing shorts today. Um, Kevin Sylvester, former CBC broadcaster, mm-hmm. um, children's writer and, and illustrator. He was in shorts today. <laughs> no, um, everybody chooses oh, uh, their own, yeah, their own uh, uniform. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for, very much for uh, telling me about the uh, festival and, and sort of uh, blowing away the, uh, the misconceptions. A pleasure. And that was Hal Wake, the Artistic Director of the Vancouver International Writers and Readers Festival, which is taking place from October 19th, that's yesterday, until October the 24th, which is Tuesday through Sunday, all over Granville Island, as you heard. And if you want more information, the best place to go is writersfestival.bc.ca. It's a beautiful, well-organized website. I highly recommend you check it out. And, uh, and get all the information um, about all the events that are taking place, about ticket prices and, and specific uh, events by date that you can buy tickets for. It's all, it's all nicely laid out. Um, tickets are also available at Vancouver Ticks.
ticks.com with an X, you know, VancouverTix.com. I forgot to mention earlier that uh, we have a lot of information on our website right now about uh, the features on today's show at CITR.ca. You'll see right there it says the Arts Report, October 20th, 2010, and uh, there's a list of the features that uh, we've been doing today and links to the various uh, websites. Um, so that's a one-stop shop for information on... Um, on this week's covered uh, events. So check that out. Okay. Uh, do we have time to take a break? I don't think we do. We're just going to go right... Yeah, no, come on. We do have time for a break. So um, stay with us. Oh, and when we return, we'll talk about Mark Bulos at the Belkin Gallery and his multi-projection um, video show. Calling the Wild Salmon People. First Nations Chiefs, Fishermen, the Mayor of Vancouver, MPs, MLAs, Alexandra Morton, and people like you are traveling through Hell's Gate and down the Fraser River for wild salmon. Join this historic journey as they land at Vanier Park on Monday, October 25th at 9am and march to the opening of the Sockeye Inquiry to support Justice Cohen in ordering the salmon feedlot disease records. We want the whole truth about what is happening to our salmon. If we want wild salmon, it is up to us. Meet at 9 a.m. in Vanier Park or at 12 noon at the Vancouver Art Gallery. For more information about the walk on Monday morning or for updates on the paddle for wild salmon, visit salmonaresacred.org. That's salmonaresacred.org. Hey, we're back on the Arts Report for one more segment. That was me. That was my voice. That was me doing a promo for uh, a salmon salmon thing and uh that was fun that was fun i like getting roped into you know when you're around at the station you're like hey hey you get in here in the studio i need i need someone to do a voiceover and uh and i enjoy it i enjoy it i have to admit it's fun all right uh mark bulos is an amsterdam-based artist and filmmaker and he's brought three projection works to the belkin gallery using documentary film techniques to make artistic statements about politics and the modern world here is a portion of an interview with Mark Bulos with Belkin Gallery director Scott Watson, where he talks about how editing film is musical. It's like jazz. But first, here he is talking about how this project came about. How, again, it, it, the, the question was... Um, how do I use a real-world situation? How can I use documentary images that I actually can take of existing things to express ideas that you can't see? And if the idea is God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, how is that made manifest? And um, I had my previous film to this was about a woman who believes she gets stigmata and that miracles happen in her bedroom. And I had this idea of the miraculous as being um, somehow cinematic. Um, and also this idea that, you know, ideas are forced into the world through a miracle and people um, kind of resist or overthrow the laws of nature and, and all kind of, and the laws of reason through faith to bring into the world something that is not true or is not true according to reason and, and empiricism. And so that, uh, the miracle of the Pentecostalists with the miracle of Glossolalia was interesting to me. And then um, I was also at the same time interested in Aramaic because this village um, 
I had known about since my earliest memory is my father is from Syria and he would tell me about this village. It, was, it had some sort of storybook quality to it. Um, and I was also interested in making um, films that had a film that had some sort of religious reference but was still documentary. So it's about, um, it's materialist but at the same time metaphysical. And so the the hermit living in the desert is kind of a Christ figure. He, he it's about sacrifice. Um, he refers to his father, um, and then the the congregation in um, in London is kind of is about the Holy Spirit, and that's actually what the theology um, means. Um, and then structurally, formally, it was the split is also between. Um, the first, the first is a individual. It's a portrait. Um, he talks, um, so it's a narrative. It's a kind of traditional um, first-person narrative. And the second um, is about a collective, and it's all, the structure is musical. Um, the reference when I was editing was jazz music, because I condensed prayer meetings. I filmed a few prayer meetings. They all last two hours into um, eight minutes and, this, uh, and laid the sound so that it sounded like music. And also, I mean, from what I understand, um, this is partially what jazz music comes from. For example, Charles Mingus has a, um, a song, Wednesday morning prayer meeting, or Wednesday night prayer meeting. And uh, I was filming Wednesday morning prayer meetings. And, and the way that the parishioners uh, position themselves independently um, and seem to chant and, and sing when they're praying and do so in this kind of improvised way but still within some sort of structure. It's very, it's musical and that's what I was looking for as well. Um, that's also when I'm editing and when I'm structuring my films, it's an important reference is how, um, is is music like there's a rhythm to filmmaking as well and since my films are art films you know they're not um, they're not journalistic documentaries in a similar way that we we're talking about the photographs but also there's no narrative and in fact I I subtract as much information as possible it's not about the facts at all it's about the situation it then becomes an issue of how do you structure it and one of the structures is musical you know it's because of the rhythm um, happening through the sound. And the other reference is poetry. So um, poetry is also a, a distillation or a, a reduction or a subtraction where everything, uh, every, every element is more potent and meaningful. And that's how I treat the language of the, of the um, films as well. That's how the discourse, that was, that's the idea anyway. And that was Mark Bulos, who is at uh, the Belkin Gallery. And the exhibition runs until December 5th at the Morris and Helen Belkin Gallery at UBC. You can find out where that is and the times that you can check that out at belkin.ubc.ca. All right, so we have reached the end of our program for today. I uh, would like to thank you so much for listening, um, wherever you have listened, however you have listened. And I would really like to thank the people who made this week's show possible.
And those people include Elena Metz, who has been a fantastic, um, I guess, uh, I don't, I don't, we're still working on a title for her, but let's go with uh, Assistant Arts Director. Uh, she's been an, an enormous help at making the show, um, you know, a little more structured, a little tighter, and, uh, and has saved me a lot of uh, hair pulling. And um, I'd also like to thank Jeannie L., who's been doing some excellent blog work, which you can see at citr.ca. And, of course, Spencer Lindsay, who, uh, who brought us that story about Thunderstick, and Anna Elena Garza, who uh, helped bring this story on Mark Bulos and is doing some great work for us as a visual arts correspondent. We'll be hearing from her much more in the days and weeks to come. Now, next week, we'll have some Halloween-related content for you and as well as that we'll have a feature on the next 30 live uh, live music presentation which is happening at the forum on on thursday and uh they're bringing a couple three bands uh to the forum which is on granville street downtown and one of those bands is the autumn portrait so i'm going to sign off today and leave you with a song called uh, Jealous by The Autumn Portrait. So thanks so much for listening. Join us again next Wednesday at 5. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at citr.ca under shows and, and podcasts. And, um, and cheerio to you. Bye-bye. <laughs>